Welcome. Church of the Advent is an Anglican congregation in Denver, Colorado, that seeks to share in the life of God by redefining and reorienting everything around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope you are challenged, encouraged, and move closer toward the gospel by this week's message. If you were here last week, we did Lectio Divina on Romans 8, and we're going to continue on, not doing Lectio, I'm going to actually preach a sermon, but verses 31 through 39, which came after, right after what we read last week. So if you want to follow along, you may, but I also want to say this, this is a nice and simple text, simply beautiful. You know, there are, there are some texts that you come across and they demand a lot of careful parsing and, and nuanced teaching to really help you understand it. The meaning of this text is very simple. And here's what it is. Nothing, no one, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing, no one, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. That's God's promise to you this morning. Well, it often doesn't feel that way, if we're honest. If that's the truth that we got to lay hold of, it often doesn't feel that way. We don't always experience that truth, do we? So Paul asked this rhetorical question in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And part of me wants to respond, yes, they shall. Because let's be real, there are are things that can can happen to us and that happen in us that really do feel like they separate us from the love of Christ. Let's start with what's in us. It isn't Paul's focus, but we'll get there. What's in us, in my own experience, in my own life, just my own walk with the Lord, and as as a pastor, shame is, is, is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It has very, very long tentacles. It has very deep roots. Kurt Thompson, who's a therapist that specializes in shame, he's written a great book about it, The Soul of Shame. He sees shame as a, as a meaning-making narrative. It's really a, a destructive story that you tell yourself that evil then uses to disintegrate your mind, your relationships, your communities, the world. And often this story of shame that you tell yourself, it begins in the nursery of your childhood home. You know, subtle, subtle words, subtle seeds of inadequacy may be planted through, through a father's silence or through a mother's harsh word or worse. And then shame is nurtured in communities that don't have a better story to tell or to live out. Whether that's just peer groups that are really defined by striving for popularity and acceptance or it's workplaces that are defined by performance reviews. Shame blossoms uninhibited in so many souls who believe that the truest thing about them is their worst sin or the rising and falling of their own sense of success or failure. And the trajectory of a soul living in this story is is insecurity, it's self-hatred, it's isolation, it's depression. So what does God's Word say? Nothing, no one, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Not a pornography addiction. Not a murderous, murderous temper. Not a mental health disorder. Not a slanderous tongue. Not a divorce. Not an unethical business decision. Not a secret you've been living with for decades. Really? Really? Why did, why did Adam and Eve first hide from God? They had sinned, and shame entered the story. 
The heart of shame is this lie. We see it in Adam and Eve. If God knew, if God knew, he'd abandon me. So I got to hide. I got to hide from him. He can't know. Now, on a human relational level, if they knew, they'd hate me. They'd reject me. They'd leave me. And so we hide. That's shame. And lurking deep within us is what Satan convinced our parents to believe, that we are not important enough for God to remain with us in the midst of our brokenness. So let this morning's words of life shatter this lie, address this lie in your heart. God knows you fully, and he won't abandon you. He knows your addiction. He knows your temper, your disorders, your gossip, your failed marriage, your secret sins. On and on and on we go. To him all hearts are open. And he says to you what he says to those who first hid from him in the garden. Where are you? Why are you hiding? Through our sin, he pursues us. And this doesn't mean that these sins are not severely wrong or severely destructive. They are. It means that they are not as severely right and severely reparative as God's love for us in Christ. Nothing, no one, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Now, your experience of Christ's love, your feelings will absolutely change as you live or don't live in obedience to him. But the truth that sets you free remains this truth. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. You know, we don't turn away from our sin and repentance and towards God because if we don't, he'll abandon us. That's shame. We turn away from our sin because allegiance to our sin will abandon us to destruction. And we turn towards God in allegiance because as we turn towards God, God, he will never stop loving us into abundant life. This is why pride is actually the root of all sin. You know, the only asterisk I'd put on this, this big idea that nothing, no one, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ is pride because thinking that you don't need his loving forgiveness is the only thing to keep you from receiving it. All you need is need, as I love to say. So Paul's focus in this text, though, it really isn't actually what's in us that might separate us from Christ's love. It's what happens to us. And he offers us this this list of possibilities, trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Now, anyone who harbors a belief that Christians ought not to suffer ought to reflect on this verse. Paul lists here only what has already happened to him in his life. More than that, Is this not a summary of Christ's own life? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. Now, I don't delight at all that part of my job is to remind you of your imminent death. (laughs) I really don't. In fact, sometimes I'm having a a great day. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but then someone interjects this story of some some really tragic suffering of of a child, and, and the effect that it has on me is this, like, unwelcome intrusion. Like, you just shattered my attempts to distract myself from death and the world's troubles but it's my job. In this world, you will have trouble. Paul takes great pains to help us accept this fact. Becoming a Christian does not exempt you from great difficulty. Many of you know this all too well. Christians, Christians lose children in car accidents like everyone else does. Christians all over the world face war and famine. Christians get cancer. Christians live in places without regular access to clean water and food and basic health care. I have been with Christians in Jakarta, Indonesia, whose lives have been spent making $2 a day, sorting through burning garbage, looking for recyclable materials, and getting tuberculosis and other diseases along the way. So, When you lose a loved one, it's understandable you would feel separate from God. When you get a terrible diagnosis, 
yes, you feel, you may feel separate from God. When, when my son was hurt by a stranger passing in front of our house, I felt for a time angry and separate from God. Now, when you suffer, these feelings are normal. You know, the psalmists normalize these feelings for us, don't they? Why are you so far from where I cry, God? My tears are my only food. Stop turning your face from me. Where are you? It's okay to feel that. Now, eventually, in his timing, this is what the Holy Spirit longs to do. In his timing. He longs to bring you back in touch with this truth. The truth is that which corresponds to reality. And your feelings don't always correspond to reality. It's okay that you feel them. It's even normal that you feel them. But what's the reality? Nothing, no one, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Now, why should you believe me? Well, why should you believe these words of Paul's? You know, John Mayer's Love is a Verb, 2012 song, it avoided legal trouble only because DC Talks version spelled love, L-U-V, as we all know. Love is a verb. The point of both songs is it's plain from the title, isn't it? Love is not a feeling. It's not a thought. It's primarily an action. It's to will the good of another, but to show that through action. Not just to say it, but to do it. Paul agrees. Romans 8, 34. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God. He's interceding for us. So Paul cites the evidence. His life, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That's the ultimate ground of this truth proof of God's unbreakable love. Think about it. The incarnation itself, God is asking us, where are you? Why are you hiding? In fact, you're hiding. I'm going to come find you. That's the incarnation. Your sin doesn't scare me away. I want to be with you. That's the incarnation. In his death, Jesus makes a full atonement for our sins. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our sins are many. His mercy is more. In his resurrection, Jesus now sits at the right hand of God. We read, interceding for us. Many of us might think this word is just like intercessory prayer. Well, yes, it includes that. But intercession is more than just prayer. The question of verse 33, who can bring any charge, charge against God's chosen? This puts us in a courtroom. So now we are in a courtroom. And Jesus' intercession is not just pleading mercy before the judge. After all, we could do that ourselves, could we not? Jesus, you know... Please, Father, have mercy. Or, you know, Jesus, imagine Jesus is there. Look, look how hard they're trying. That's, that's not what's going on. Look how many quiet times they've done and how, how much they're giving and, and how hard they're working. Please, just have mercy. No, 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 no. He's not up there pointing to your perfect repentance or your religious performance or your lack of sin today or your frequency of prayer. He's pointing to the cross. He's making a case, a good case, like a lawyer would. He's saying, look, I have paid in full. There no longer remains a need for justice. justice. Justice has been done. It's satisfied. In fact, it would be unjust for you to require double justice, for you to require more than what has already been given, my life, my blood. Justice has been satisfied. That's the case, and it's a good one. Now, then when Jesus is raised from the dead by God, this was the proof that Jesus' offering was accepted, that his death death had been conquered, that our sin has been buried, that shame and brokenness and all this stuff we've talked about, it's awaiting resurrection. All sin is buried, all graves open, all wrongs righted, all tears dried, all bodies gloriously whole. That's the evidence. That's the proof. And that's why Paul says in verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
a literal translation of the Greek, and all these things, we will prevail completely. We will prevail completely. The promise is not that even the harshest circumstances can dislodge you from God's love. Nothing, no one, nothing can separate you from his love and the glorious destiny that awaits you through it. And that's the loving kindness that leads us to repentance. You know, this security that we have, the shame-obliterating security that we have, that's what frees us to actually be vulnerable, to confess your sins one to another because he's faithful and just to forgive. Because we don't need to fear that being vulnerable will separate us from God. It won't. He is not going to run from it. He's going to draw near. Similarly, we are to be a community that reflects this impulse of God, this love, this shame-obliterating sense of, of drawing near amidst shame and brokenness. If we are a community that reflects God's heart, ought it separate you? You know, confess your sins one to another. Be vulnerable with your brother and sister. Why? Because it's safe. They're not going to leave you. They're going to hang with you. They're going to draw near. They're going to say, what, really, you too? Me too. Let's pray together and work through it. You don't have to hide. You don't have to hide. Now, we, Church of the Advent, we are to be a healing community for those in shame. A great cloud of witnesses speaking this truth to one another, to, to fellow sinners. Nothing, no one, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. In fact, if there's something specific, maybe on your mind, that you'd like to confess, the church gives us a very beautiful and simple rite of reconciliation. It's, if you have a BCP, it's on page 223. You can look through it. I'd love to do it with you. Any of our clergy would love to walk it through with you. Just email me, jordan at adventdenver.com. It'd be a delight. And so, I don't know what else to do but to pray that, that, well, really, it's a gracious act of God that helps us apprehend this truth. So, Lord, grace our souls to trust this truth that you speak to us, that, that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything, underline it, circle it, anything, and all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is, I hope you have seen, a, a shame-obliterating story. It's a better story to live in. The truest thing about you is not your worst sin or the, the rising and falling of your own sense of success or failure. If through faith and baptism you've humbled yourself, you've admitted your need for his life, the truest thing about you is this, you are beloved in Christ. You're beloved in Christ. Nothing, no one, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. So may you hear this word spoken to you. Your soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, Jesus says, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Father, help us to let this truth sink deeply into the wounds of our hearts, into the places of shame, even into the secrets and places we're hiding. Would you draw us out of hiding? Help us to confess our sins one to another and ultimately to just receive the abundance of your grace which makes us new and leads us to repentance. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We encourage you to take a moment to reflect on what God might be saying to you through what you just heard. For questions, additional information, and resources, please visit adventdenver.com.